Now, let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy on ESPN Honolulu. What's up, everybody? Welcome. It's the Friday edition of the show. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu and my guest co-host for the day. We've actually been uh, bumped for scheduling reasons. I was off island uh, last week, and so uh, we haven't had this guy in here uh, for a couple of weeks now, but uh, he's back. BMAC, Brian McInnes of the Spectrum News app, is in the house. What's up, B? What's up, man? I thought you forgot about me there for a minute. <laughs> no, I just wanted longer weekends. That's what I was looking for, and uh, unfortunately, you uh, were uh, were a guy who was impacted uh, by that desire. No, uh, yeah, it's, we had a few scheduling conflicts. We were preempted by uh, baseball on the road, uh, but now UH season is pow. Uh, Billy Hull is going to be venturing out on a, a trip soon. You're going to be going on like an incredible trip here coming up this summer, right? Oh, man, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. You know, this is... Fully, I feel like finally summer is upon us at last after, you know, the gauntlet of the spring sports season. Uh, so many different sporting events going on at the, the college, the high school, and, and then the miscellaneous professional levels that <laughs> impact the Hawaii sports scene. And uh, just can finally take a deep breath. And yeah, uh, later this month, I'll make and be making a multi-part, multi-leg stop, starting with visiting my little sister who just had her first kid. Hey! Oh, B-Max and Uncle! I'm an uncle. I'm oh, an uncle. right on! In these uh, la- few weeks since uh, we last uh, got together to do this show, you and I, so... Uh, yeah, man, I'm excited about it. Um, not sure how to feel on that front yet. It's going to be something I'm going to be getting used to. Oh, well, that's very cool. Um, th- congratulations. I think that's kind <laughs> of an you. awesome thing, uh, being an uncle. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, a bit of a, a different vibe. But, uh, yeah, that's that's going to be awesome. We wish you the best. We'll miss you around here, of course, uh, but uh, happy that you're in here here today. 808-296-1420 is the number to call. Uh, all right, there's a lot to get to. We are guestless here this Friday. Wanted to give BMAC as oh, much room goodness. to maneuver as possible uh but there's plenty to get to and obviously we are uh, wide open if you want to call in or text in at that number uh, we got the nba finals to get to this is the final day in the tenure of david matlin mm-hmm. as athletics director at the university of hawaii officially pow here today he will give way to the incoming ad craig angelis uh, and so a new era is beginning. The transition uh, is now uh, underway at the University of Hawaii. Uh, how are you sort of observing this, uh, BMAC? How would you maybe, first off, summarize uh, David Matlin as, as as best as possible, right? And I think, you know, now that, that this is the final day, uh, there are going to be some things that carry over that will probably further impact his legacy or, or will still have some attachment to uh, his time as AD. And so maybe more of the story is still yet to be told, uh, but as he is now uh, embarking in this final day uh, of what is basically an eight-plus year uh, mm-hmm. stay as the uh, AD at the University of Hawaii, how would you sort of characterize it, uh, and particularly as we anticipate now this transition to Craig Angelus? You know, I, I will start by saying that we will continue to kind of see his legacy play out as this Ching Complex expansion on the University of Hawaii lower, lower campus takes place and and the fans uh, go watch UH football games there for the next five years is the timetable right now uh, until that new new stadium is constructed um, by the estimates we were given 2028 so 
uh, you know, we're, we're going to see David Matlin's handiwork there firsthand. Yeah. He was the, the guy who really shepherded it that long and, and got the first phase done in a remarkably quick fashion. You know, we, we've previously given him uh, kudos, plaudits for that, uh, deservedly, I think, um, for navigating that. And, and now he's, you know, directed this, this expansion to 15K seats with the, the stadium scoreboard coming in at some point, uh, likely during, during the course of this coming uh, 2023 football season. So I would say that was for sure one of his biggest accomplishments. You know, we've talked about the things that his detractors have have targeted with, between, you know, the, the Todd Graham coaching hire, of course, I think yeah. jumps first first and foremost. Um, and that's still, I'm sure, fresh in a lot of fans' minds, just the, the fallout of all how all that played out and the prominence of the head football coaching job at the University of Hawaii. Yeah. Outsized importance in the grand scheme of what he has to oversee. And of course there's myriad, so many things that David Matlin from, you know, budget and finance to uh, tickets and attendance to, um, you know, over, going through the, the whole COVID pandemic yeah. saga that he had a lot to do with helping UH along. Yeah. I, I think his, I look back on it, at least where I'm, I'm kind of sitting at the moment, uh, what jumps out at me regarding David Matlin's uh, time as AD. Uh, he had a lot of stuff that was sort of thrust upon him. Um, you know, every athletic director's job has its challenges. Uh, Hawaii has a host of challenges that have kind of been there for many, many years. And so some of that is always going to require some navigating through, but nobody could see COVID coming, right? And everyone had to deal with it, sure, uh, but add to what is already a very difficult task uh, when you think about some of the financial shortcomings that the University of Hawaii faces on a regular basis, uh, particularly in athletics, and then you have to deal with the COVID pandemic, right? And and the the lack of revenue stream because people can't attend the games and all of that stuff. Again, everyone was dealing with some form of it, uh, but. You add to that, then, the Aloha Stadium debacle, which, again, was not something that was uh, under his uh, purview. There obviously was an attachment that Hawaii has, that the UHAD even has, uh, to the goings-on at Aloha Stadium. But he had no control over the uh, you know budgetary responsibilities of that facility. And so for it to have then been condemned and leaving Hawaii effectively without a home stadium, that is another massive situation that just kind of came crashing down into his living room, uh, a situation that he had to deal with. Uh, and so I think you're right. You bring up Clarence T.C. Ching Athletic Complex, and that is going to likely be the uh, biggest, most tangible legacy piece of David Matlin's tenure. Uh, and I think that probably the situation that, again, was thrust on him, but a situation that he probably deserves an incredible amount of credit in how he handled because – they were desperate, and they needed to move fast. And we know one thing about the University of Hawaii, and maybe maybe state politics, uh, you know, islands wide uh, in in this uh, in this place in in the state of Hawaii, things don't tend to move fast when you have to embark on those kinds of projects. Uh, and so, for everyone to have been sort of paddling the canoe uh, in unison, in sync, to be able to get that that job done, I think was a pretty remarkable feat and a pretty remarkable achievement uh, for David Matlin and for that athletics department. And so, yeah, you're right. I think that 
legacy will live on. That legacy is still going to be told wherever Clarence T. C. Ching Athletic Complex goes, however they expand, uh, if they ever, you know, under this new leadership of Craig Angeles, who built a 30,000-seat uh, stadium on the campus at FAU, uh, if he tries to do something like that there at the University of Hawaii, that legacy will still be in large part attached to David Matlin. So, yeah, uh, did I agree with all of the decisions that David Matlin made from a coaching selection standpoint and all that stuff? No, there are a lot of things that, that you can point at and say, well, that didn't work out, uh, and the fallout from it was pretty significant and was a bit of a black eye even uh, on a national media scale uh, for Hawaii. But I think some of the things that he had to maneuver around that were thrown at him that no one could see coming, the way he handled that, the way he navigated around that, I thought was, uh, was pretty remarkable. Uh, and then the last thing I'll say about uh, uh, David Matlin, at least in, in my sort of personal perception of this, uh, is I think he's also a really good guy. You know, I, I think he sure. uh, he he has has tried to to lead from a place um, of you know just genuine attachment. Uh, I think I think the decisions he has made, he has meant, he has has carried. Um, you know, and and I think that's that's in many ways all you can ask for from a leader is all right. We're going to make these decisions that are going to have uh, an impact. You have to own them. Uh, you 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 have to at least be convincing yourself that you are doing it in the best interest of the University of Hawaii. And I honestly believe that even in some of the miscue decisions, uh, I do honestly believe that that was his thinking. He believed that he was making decisions that were in the best interest of the University of Hawaii. So I, those those are some of the elements to me that will that will linger. That that I will always sort of. Um, identify uh, with David Matlin, uh, and I wish him the best, obviously, in this next uh, chapter in his life. I think in a testimony to that last point you were making uh, about him just being, you know, just a good dude and um, is the respect, I think, that he garnered from people within that athletic department and um, all, all just the comments that, you know, we've seen from mm -hmm. his associate ath athletic directors on down on his leadership and um, how they were really, you know, as you said earlier in the show, kind of rowing, you know, paddling in the same direction. Which never happens. Um, and he uh, was beloved, I think, is is a fair word to, to say within that uh, group of people that he oversaw. So th that's not always the case, as we know. And um, I think uh, the final kind of image that pops into my head on David Matlin's tenure maybe encapsulating all the, the, the pros, the cons, the, the success, successes and the failures that we were just talking about. Uh, I'm uh, recalling, uh, if you remember, President Obama's entry portrait when he started his tenure in the White House and then the one when he finished. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. His hair, like the transformation, like to full gray from, from you know, salt and pepper to black hair when he yeah. started. I think there's a similar one if you compare the David Matlin eight-year portrait from start to finish. Yeah, I mean, he is one of the very few that has been able to do this, that has been able to step down as AD um, on his own accord, like on his own, uh, by his own set of circumstances. That does not happen. Uh, you usually, we have usually seen traditionally ads that have been let go, that have been fired. Uh, unfortunately, we have seen uh, in the case of Stan Sheriff, athletic directors who have have passed away on the job. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I would imagine that all of that stuff was certainly in the the thought 
and decision-making process for David Matlin as he decided, all right, I think now is the time to hand off these responsibilities, to hand the reins over uh, to the next AD, uh, because it's kind of a rarity to be able to even do that. So uh, you're right. I, I think there there is there is that respect for him as, as just at least at the end of the day, regardless of if you agreed with all of his decisions or not or um, – you, I think there is there is a consensus that that he's a good guy. He's a, he's a good dude, and I think that that goes a long way, uh, especially in this day and age, uh, especially in college sports that's ever changing. And there's so much money that's being just tossed around this thing. We'll get to another interesting story uh, that's developing in the state of California, but it can be Uji, man. And so to have good people in these positions, I think that goes a long way. And just underscoring the fact how stressful of a job it can be. And David Matlin would be the first person to tell you that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, speaking of that, I, I mentioned this this story, and I, I found this to be uh, pretty fascinating. Uh, but USA Today, uh, there was a report. Uh, several media outlets carried it, but uh, USA Today was the report that I saw about a California assembly that passed a bill allowing college athletes to be paid directly by schools. So uh, this took place yesterday. The California assembly narrowly voted to approve legislation that would create the uh, unprecedented opportunity for college athletes in the state to receive payments straight from their schools, and, and this is a key phrase here, based on their respective team revenue. Mm. So uh, it wouldn't just be this, you know, uh, amorphic kind of, of uh, sum that they could just attach to anybody. There has to be some uh, structure to it based on uh, the, the revenue for that particular team or program. Uh, the bill received 41 votes in favor, which is the minimum required for passage. Um, basically, what now has to happen is the bill goes in front of the Senate, and it needs to be approved there. Plus, it wouldn't have to also be approved uh, by the governor, Gavin Newsom. Um, but this could be a bit of a game changer. Uh, and I think there are a lot of very uh, hesitant and, and nervous uh, individuals throughout college sports because sure. this is a different kind of thing, right? The NIL thing, which is still yet to be fully defined, but has has ushered in a new era in college sports. Um, you know, that's something that everyone's kind of playing with and, and having to maneuver around. But this is a different thing altogether. This isn't just, oh, student athletes have the right, right, through third parties to be able to make money off of their name, image, and likeness. This is, these athletes can be, be essentially employees of the school and the schools or those programs can directly pay them. Um, I'm not sure, uh, you know, what's going to happen with this, uh, but uh, this is, again, a bit of a, of a paradigm shift in how we talk about the compensation for student athletes. Uh, I think what is going to have to happen, I want to get your thoughts on this, but uh, what's going to have to happen here. Uh, is we are waiting, right? The NCAA has sort of washed its hands of the whole NIL thing, and they have left it up to the states. They have left it up to the institutions, essentially themselves, to create their own guidelines, right? And what's okay, what's what's acceptable, what's inappropriate. Um, with some very basic rules that the NCAA has just recently kind of aligned. Um, but I think what we're all waiting for is just an agreed-upon set of guidelines. And that's probably not going to happen until, and you figure they have a lot of other really important things to, to worry about, but until this becomes more of a federally adopted conversation, right? That the U.S. Uh, Congress is going to have to 
write up and, and put together a structure that will be widely agreed upon, that will be widely uh, accepted uh, to, to how to maneuver around NIL. But this thing is different altogether. How does this strike you? I, I guess, you know, as you're reading that out, the first thing that kind of struck me is that it's in concept, conceptually, it's like an expansion of the cost of attendance, uh, you know, which does exist currently. Schools are allowed to pay their student athletes. Um, I'm not sure if it varies by sport or not, if it's specific to like, say, football or men's basketball, but they're allowed to pay athletes a certain amount to, to basically compensate for things like cost, you know, cost of living, uh, cell phone expenses, things of that nature. This sounds like a dramatic expansion of that where it's far more open-ended in terms of how much these schools could potentially pay uh, those student-athletes, particularly of the money-making traditionally sports. Uh, and then my second thought is, yeah, just how every other state basically will either be like telling, pointing and telling the NCAA, hey, like this is clearly competitive imbalance, like we can't stand for this, or, you know, urging their state legislators to get on board and craft their own version of this in absence of an overarching federal movement and legislation on it, which honestly, as you said, they got bigger things to worry about. Probably it's probably not forthcoming in the near future. So, uh, man, just another example of the NCAA's, the consequences of it kind of washing its hands of the, the whole apparatus of NIL and, and, uh, you know, revenue generation on behalf of the student athletes, Ah, that could get messy, man. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. So according to this article, depending on these teams' individual – or these individual teams' revenue, uh, athletes will be able to receive annual payments of up to $25,000. Athletes potentially could be credited with even more money, uh, but amounts above 25000 a year would be paid only if the athlete completed an undergraduate degree within six years of full-time enrollment. So, I mean, there are some provisions there, but uh, another part of the bill that's kind of sketchy uh, is uh, the fact that uh, public and private schools in California would Uh, be subject to a new extensive regulatory structure overseen by a 21-member panel appointed by the governor, the Assembly Speaker, and the Senate Rules Committee. So the panel would be required to develop and enforce health and safety standards, as well as a replacement for the letter of intent signed uh, by high school athletes committing them to schools, uh, and it would have subpoena power. So it kind of puts a lot of power into the government uh, in overseeing how all of this stuff uh, takes place. But uh, yeah, a, a little... A little sketchy, and certainly for we were talking about some of the financial uh, obstacles and, and and challenges for the University of Hawaii. On top of that, uh, if a state of California um, type of of legislative body uh, adopts this kind of rule, then that opens the door for other states to do the same, and then all of a sudden the competition that Hawaii has to now face financially in that realm mm-hmm. uh, kicks up several notches because then you can now be a program that is established that sells out the football state every week or sells out the basketball arena every week and you could actually be like um we make more money than that program so if you come to our school you will make more money than that program the nil thing you know there is a bit i think of that kind of relation right higher profile programs obviously means uh, you know likely higher profile deals uh, but this is a little bit different because this is directly from uh, the programs themselves and the schools themselves. So uh, it's pretty wild. We'll see uh, how it plays out. But uh, kind of hoping that in this case, uh, the, the progressiveness of the state of California uh, maybe doesn't become the uh, more widely adopted way. You know, I, I would imagine 
it would be most felt at the power conference level with some of the, the Pac-12 schools if, if that were to actually come to fruition. But would also be curious if it does trickle down to, say, a mid-major like the Big West. And as we know, Hawaii's entire conference opponent lineup are all schools either in the Cal State system or the UC system in California. So, you know, <laughs> UH could be potentially looking at a suddenly well a uh, better armed group of, of foes financially were something UH has probably had a leg up on in most of its uh, in-league competition. All right. Well, uh, beat the heat with Fujitsu air conditioning systems. Fujitsu includes a special trifecta warranty that will have you saying, I love my Fujitsu. That's right. We got uh, BMAC, Brian McInnes of the Spectrum News app. He's in the house. Let's Talk Sports continues after this. We will get into game one of the NBA Finals. Is it just going to be la that? the rest of the series. Uh, we'll talk about it when we come back. What's up? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu. I have BMAC, Brian McInnes of the Spectrum News app. He's in the house. Uh, he's hanging out with me as the uh, special guest co-host here uh, for this uh, particular edition of the show. Uh, BMAC, uh, we were uh, talking about uh, game one of the NBA Finals, and, uh, well, it wasn't really that much of a surprise. I think most people were thinking and figuring that uh, the Nuggets were going to kind of lay their authority uh, on the Miami Heat, particularly in game one, the Heat coming out of a long seven-game series, the Nuggets well-rested after sweeping the Lakers. And so playing at altitude, uh, a lot to ask for Miami to kind of make that quick turnaround, at least quick by their standards uh, and certainly by comparison to the Nuggets. So not a big surprise the way it sort of played out yesterday. Uh, but do you think that what we saw, or at least even elements of what we saw in that game, are uh, destined to be things that are going to linger and be problematic for the Heat here the rest of the way? You know, I do think there, there's a lot of room for the Heat to play better. Uh, Jimmy Butler did not have a, uh, a especially noteworthy game. I think 13 points wasn't really hunting his shot. Shot like maybe 5 for 13 from the field, something in that neighborhood. Uh, Bam Adebayo had a huge game. That's something that the Heat will probably need to you know, offset the considerable damage that Nikola Jokic does uh, nightly. So um, they didn't shoot the ball particularly well. You know, Max Struess threw up an 0 for 10 goose egg. Yeah. Uh, that definitely hurt him. Um, so like I said, the Heat, major room for improvement. However, I don't think the Nuggets played necessarily up to their standard either, especially the way they closed the game. So um, I, I do think that result will be what holds overall in terms of win-loss, but... Uh, I think both teams got a lot of room to, uh, you know, make this a little bit more compelling. I mean, uh, there are a few things that stood out to me. One was Nikola Jokic, uh, what did he attempt, 12 shots the entire game, ended up with still a monster triple-double. I've been kind of talking uh, with uh, Billy Hall and I had this conversation last week, kind of been thinking about, like, what's the comp here for Jokic, right? And, and I think, you know, automatically, because it's sort of uh, the way we tend to talk about these things is you got to, like, compare white guys to past white guys or compare, you know, people of color to pass people of color in the game, you know, that kind of thing. It's just this stupid thing that we do. But the more I think about it, the more I would say that Nikola Jokic is like a crossbreed of Tim Duncan and Larry Bird. 
Like, if, if like honestly, like I, the unholy love child. Like the, 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 yeah, exactly. Like the, the to me, the comparisons are pretty sound, right? Like Nikola Jokic, like Tim Duncan, or one of our favorite players, right? As Spurs fans, um, very low key, right? Wasn't sort of that that uh, prototypical superstar in the NBA. He's not posting uh, Instagram live videos and those kinds of things. He just kind of keeps to himself. But fundamentally, as sound as they come, his footwork is impeccable. Uh, even though he doesn't look like he can be the most physical specimen out on the floor. He bodies people up. Uh Tim Duncan did the same thing. But like Larry Bird, he also has this incredible ability with the basketball, whether it's the handle, whether it's the passing, the court vision, that weird behind-the-head shot that like killed the Lakers like about a half dozen times in that series. Um, the guy is special, man. And that game yesterday, he was special without even having to call his own number. Now, when Miami made that little run in the fourth quarter, you kind of saw he hit the light switch. He's like, all right, I think I need to kind of settle this thing down, right? Miami had cut it to, I think, nine. Or, or single digits, uh, and then he just, what, proceeds to uh, back down, bam, out of bio, hit a little turnaround in the lane, then hit a fadeaway along the baseline. It's like, all right, now they're they're in position and all's right with the world again. Like, he didn't even have to do that for most of the game, uh, and the Nuggets were still able to put on this kind of performance. The other side to it, I mentioned bam, out of bio, uh, it is a win for the Denver Nuggets if bam, out of bio, is shooting 25 times. 25 shots to get 26 points. Uh, if Bam Adebayo is thinking like, okay, I got to kind of spearhead this, and he is in one-on-one mode or trying to you know, take Jokic to the hole, which he can do on occasion, uh, but that's a win for the Denver Nuggets. You want Bam Adebayo to be doing that. If he's taking the most shots for the Heat, Denver's feeling pretty good. Yeah, I think that's as much an indictment of Jimmy Butler as it is, you know, as to Bam, you know, necessarily doing anything wrong. Jimmy's... I think he was kind of feeling his way in that game and seeing what was available to him. But uh, now that he's got maybe his altitude legs under him a little bit, I think we'll see a different Jimmy Butler in game two. But going back to your your comp, yeah, on, you like the comp on Jokic? I enjoy that. I enjoy that. And even your your guy LeBron, and I think the the post game of game four after they got eliminated, mentioned those degree of difficulty <laughs> shots where he's cocking it behind his head and just letting it fly and it's going in. To like a Larry Bird shot. I believe that was LeBron's words uh, about that shot specifically. But I would offer up a counter. Okay, here we go. Yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Media Basketball League, Billy Hull. (laughs) Wait, what? All right, you uh, you you got to elaborate here. Uh, We're going back more than a decade to when there was a Media Basketball League. Oh, yeah, those were the days. no longer exists. We all kind of, you know, uh, lament that it it went away and uh, bring back old school memories from time oh, to man. time. Just great sportsmanship throughout. <laughs> I think per capita, the number of technical fouls issued in that league, just for the, the refs trying to control all yeah. the, the myriad egos, <laughs> just totally out of control. <laughs> Probably the reason it ended up going away. <laughs> the, the myriad, like, unwarranted egos. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, it's the reason why you guys are in the media, by the way. All right? And then this is immediately, like, remember that. But everyone everyone gets out on the court and it's like, no, no, no. Uh, we're, we're taking it back to the, the glory days here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a superstar out on this basketball court yeah so anyway my my old uh compatriot billy for the the star bulletin team he uh he got had some game man you know during kind of the the tail end of probably his prime basketball <laughs> career um <laughs> before all of us retired to the golf courses yes, of Oahu. yes uh, he, you know he had he had the shooting ability he had the passing ability a little bit of uh playmaking and um 
not the full on. I don't think shot behind his head, but just there. There's a definite comp there in my mind. Is that why he has developed this um, this like adulation for Nikola Jokic? Do you think like Billy sees some of himself yeah, in? It's like, oh yeah, big bruising white guy, big bruising white guy. Yep, and he can shoot. Billy can shoot. Yeah, Billy did have a little bit of game. That's funny. So uh, you heard it here first on this very serious sports talk show. Uh, <laughs> instead of comparing Nikola Jokic, this all-time great NBA player, to a uh, cross of Tim Duncan and Larry Bird, we're just going to go ahead and say, uh, no, he's more like Billy Hull during the media league. <laughs> nice analysis there, BMAC. Hey, that's what I'm here for. That's why they pay me the big bucks. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to go uh, dip into the bucket of questions. We haven't done that in a little while. Or bucket of topics, however you want to refer to it. We're going to do that with my man, BMAC. You're listening to Let's Talk Sports. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. I always have a hard time deciding when or if at all to start talking when we have three plus honey baby playing us back in from commercial break. Uh, sometimes you just kind of want to listen to the song. And probably a lot of listeners out there are feeling the same way. And they're like, why don't you shut up, Canova? Well, you know, we have to do the show. So uh, my apologies to everyone. Uh, 808-296-1420 is the number to call or text. Uh, got BMAC, Brian McInnes of the Spectrum News app in the house. Got this big old bucket next to me. It's full of questions and topics. So, uh... Should we dip into the bucket, BMAC? I mean, if the bucket doesn't contain beers, I guess it can at least contain questions. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I know, unfortunately. Uh, maybe at the bottom. I don't know. I haven't reached all the way down. But I'll take this little question here off of the very top of the stack. And it's very timely because it has to do with the NBA Finals. Uh, we were talking a little bit about that game one. Um Pretty lopsided in favor of the Denver Nuggets. They're the distinct favorite here going forward the rest of the way. But this question, will the Heat win? at least one game in this NBA Finals series. BMAC, your thoughts? I'll give them one. I'll give them the uh, the game three at home, desperation, scrambling, eking out a win over, in my mind, the clearly superior Denver Nuggets, as I guess the uh, kids these days call it the gentleman's sweep. Uh, so I just don't think they have the firepower to keep up. Uh, we were talking a little bit in the break. Maybe if they get going in transition, I think that's a solid point. But once these teams set up in half court, only one side I trust to get something going. Yeah, you know, the Lakers had the most success against the Nuggets when they were able to get stops and get out and run, right, in transition. And so I think that's what the Heat are going to have to do. I think the problem is, like, when you just watch them out there, especially, like, the starting groups for both teams, the Nuggets are so much bigger. Like, they're just bigger, right? Michael Porter Jr., 6'10". Um, you have Aaron Gordon, who's a big body. You have Nikola Jokic. Like, these guys are big, right? And you have Jeff Green and some of these elements that are coming off of the bench. Like, the Nuggets are huge. Uh, and they they are just well coached and, and very disciplined in, in what they run. They just have great chemistry. And yeah, I just think it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for the Miami Heat to get the kinds of consistent stops that they're going to need to get in order to get out in transition uh, and give themselves the best chance. Because uh, again, against that size, um, even though they did actually offensive rebound pretty well, but I think a lot of that was because they were taking a lot of long shots. And so it was a lot of long rebounds and they were getting some second chances off of that. But yeah, just the sheer size of the Denver Nuggets. I'll give the Heat a game because some of the elements that work for the Nuggets don't necessarily travel as well. Um, but yeah, I just I think they're a pretty superior team, and um, and I think that the Denver Nuggets have the goods here to maybe stay around for a while. If they wrap up this NBA Finals title and and you know they take home the Larry O'B, um, 
who's picking against the Denver Nuggets next year? I found myself wondering the same thing. And, you know, it was health that held back the Nuggets really in the last season and a half with uh, Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray's coming back from that ACL that knocked him out of two playoffs. So, um, hey, at least the Heat, they will supposedly maybe have Tyler Hero coming back. That's right. Possibly for game, for game two, right? Game three is what I heard last. Okay. You, you think he could come back in the next I, one? I thought I saw something yesterday talking about, um, you know, possibly for okay. game two. Well. But, but at some point in this series, yeah, they could get a little boost from uh, Tyler Hero. I think that would be helpful. Obviously, he's a, he's a pretty key you know member of that offensive flow. I mean, anything that takes him uh, a little bit further away from an 0 for 10 Max Struess game. Yeah, and if you figure there, there are going to be some of those things like Max Struess isn't going to shoot that badly going forward, right? I mean, it's not you know uh, who was the they said the the that was the second or the first time that a player has taken double digit shots and has gone over from the field since Ray Allen did it. He was over thirteen in like the twenty ten uh, NBA Finals. So I mean, that was Ray Allen. It's not bad company to be in if you're Max Struess. I mean, I guess Ray Allen did come back later in his career <laughs> and, back and, right. and hit a uh, certainly a specifically memorable shot that did not go in our favor as Spurs fans. All right. Okay. Um, here's the next question out of the bucket. What did you make of the Monty Williams contract to take over as head coach with the Detroit Pistons? I'm not sure if you saw this, but Monty Williams... Uh, was given an historically lucrative deal to coach the Detroit Pistons. In fact, uh, he is becoming uh, the highest-paid coach in the NBA. Six years, $78.5 million. Highest-paid coach in NBA history. This is Monty Williams. Love the guy. But what are the Detroit Pistons doing with this contract? I don't know. Maybe they should have they, they should have saved that money to get some better talent on their <laughs> roster, maybe. I Hey, if Monty Williams turns what they have right now into like a, you know, even a playoff team, like an eight-seeded type of playoff team, I'd say the dude's earning at least a good chunk of that money. Um, that said, I I just don't see the Pistons doing really anything for the foreseeable future. I, well, I'm just not sure what the reason. Like, did they, were they feeling like they needed to throw that kind of cash at him because you know? say another franchise was looking to, you know, they got some pretty good jobs open, right, uh, that have been open. There are reports that uh, Frank Vogel's going to take over in Phoenix, uh, but you got, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks and, like, these right. really star players who are in need of a head coach. Uh, and so maybe they were thinking, like, well, if we don't throw him this $78 mm -hmm. million, dollars, he's going to go elsewhere. Um, still, that just that seems like an awfully high price tag that might not be necessary in order to get the services of a guy like Monty Williams. Uh, that said, he did do, I thought, a pretty darn good job in Phoenix. Um, you know, I think by all accounts, he's he's a really good guy, a good role model. They have a lot of young players. They have some talent, right? Kate Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, I think, was a great pick in the draft last year. Um, and so there are some pieces, young pieces, and, and maybe they felt like, you know, they needed more of a mentor-like head coach, and, and so that's why they go with Monty Williams. But uh, who... What of those available jobs, and again, now, um, you know, Detroit's getting filled, the reports that are Frank Vogel's going to take over in Phoenix, uh, you got Milwaukee. What of the available jobs, or at least the jobs that were made available going into this offseason, did you think was the most attractive for a potential head coach? I'm thinking right now, I was, when you laid all those names out, Phoenix, I think, is what jumped to the top of the list for me that, you know, the, the Devin Booker and KD duo having, you know, at least, uh, a couple more years together, you would think, uh, depending on what happens with KD here. But, um, you know, Milwaukee, 
they just kind of had some bad juju with the way things shook out there. So maybe the new coach can come in and fix that. But I mean, you got Giannis, and, you and got Giannis. you're loving life yeah. if you got Giannis. But they also have, you know, they're kind of the opposite of the Pistons. They have a lot of, like, older players on some pretty significant contracts, um, and they're going to be up against that challenge is going to be tough for them to, you know, move some of those guys, to work through some of those contracts, to lure some younger talent, to, to get in position where they can afford uh, some, some younger talent. So I think there are more challenges in Milwaukee on the horizon uh, than maybe what uh, what the appearance seems to be at this moment in time. But uh, if I'm a, a prospective head coach and I'm looking for a home, give me Giannis. Give me the guy who I think, uh, you know, neck and neck with, with uh, Nikola Jokic and maybe Joel Embiid uh, as the best dude in basketball, uh, I'll take that guy. Hey, if you can, you you can uh, handle the uh, frigid climate up there, then more power to. I him. didn't think about that part of it. Yeah, you're right. That that does make it a little bit more difficult. But uh, Giannis will warm me up. Okay, uh, next question out of the bucket. Uh, Oregon golfer Gregory Sohog. Did you see this? Uh, he had to withdraw from the NCAA golf championships. After stepping on a tee and impaling his foot, ouch! Uh, but also a very golf-like oriented injury. Um, you know, there aren't too many like instant injuries that'll that'll set you off the course that that'll force you to withdraw, right? And usually it's like lingering stuff, you know, back pain, maybe a previously sprained ankle, something like that. Uh, but this is one of those kind of crazy injuries, maybe a little bit embarrassing. Like, you know, how did you do that? What is the most embarrassing injury in your lifetime, BMAC? Well, first, I was wondering exactly what you just said. How did that actually <laughs> manifest? Like, was it just like tumbling along the ground and it just had the perfect yeah, like, lineup of stepping straight down onto it? Or You just didn't see it? Maybe it was just like on the, the, the walkway or something, getting out of the cart or I don't know. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. But all right. Well, to answer your question, uh, last summer visited uh, my relatives in Canada for the first time in a while, <laughs> staying at my grandma's house. Very, very nice lady. Uh, she asked me to help set up for a party at the house. Uh, first thing I was tasked to do was unfolding uh, a table that was in the garage uh, to set up outside. And I proceed to uh, lean down and try to extract you know, the, the legs from this table that can fold out. Uh, pulled something in my back like immediately. And uh, it just like locked up on me. I could not do anything uh, for a, a while. And um, my grandma couldn't believe it. You know, she grew up, she worked a farm for decades. Like, come on, like this soft kid that my mom raised from Hawaii coming out here. First thing he does, pulls his back. And uh, <laughs> I was definitely uh, the butt of some jokes up there. But. Oh, my gosh. Probably deserved. Yeah, that's uh, well, you know, that's a tough one. I, I would probably say I was kind of going back and forth on this one. I recently had a, a deal with tennis elbow, um, but I don't play tennis. That seems kind of bad to me. Um, but I also, when I was a kid, I remember after a little league baseball practice, uh, it was at a beach park in Coolio, o, and I remember um, made the very unwise decision to, with a couple other of my teammates, uh, clearly lacking um, adult supervision um we started to just hang out by the beach and we started to throw shards of glass from like broken beer bottles we started to just throw them like yeah. throw them in in the ocean or something like who could throw the farthest uh and uh, not unpredictably i uh i cut my finger uh and cut it pretty deep where i needed to get four stitches on my index finger on my right hand you can still see the very clear scar there um and so that's a pretty bad one like what did I think was going to happen? Like throwing shards of glass, you you fool, you young, you young stupid fool. Impetuous. 
<laughs> I would say. Uh, I think you win because that that was entirely self-inflicted. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like at least yours was in the attempt to help your wonderful grandma. Uh, I was throwing glass. Like kids <laughs> out there uh, listening, uh, if you happen to be, um, don't do that. Don't throw glass. All right, uh, last question here. Shannon Sharp, uh, it is being announced, is uh, going to be leaving his position uh, over there at Fox. Uh, he is going to be stepping away from his role. Uh, Counter to Skip Bayless on the debate show Undisputed. So the question here out of the bucket for you, BMAC, is who would you replace Shannon Sharp with? Uh, who would you think would even be daring enough to sit in the same room every day with Skip Bayless? Do, like, fictional characters count? Because <laughs> I feel like Skip himself is almost like a fictional character. He has become certainly, if not a fictional character, at least a parody of a, a, a human being, a humanoid known as Skip Bayless. He's become a parody of that, yeah. All right, well, I'm, I'm going to wade into a show that just finished, uh, Succession on HBO, which I know you have not yet watched, uh, correct? Oh, I have not yet watched it. You're okay, right. well, yeah. I still highly recommend it, but... Uh, one of the primary characters, Roman Roy, the son of uh, the Brian Cox character who kind of over the overarching figure on that show, Roman Roy, very snarky, uh, very, um, you know, has, a, I think, a good heart, but just like will tear people to shreds with his wit and his uh, just snark. And it's um, he, he holds true to that character for the entire run of the show. Okay. I think that would be a good opportunity. I, I kind of like the idea that it would be like almost like uh, Stephen Colbert when he was doing the, the Colbert rapport and he was the character Stephen Colbert, not his yes. real self. You could just have somebody that is playing that kind of character for this show uh, to sit counter to uh, Skip Bayless. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's a, that's a tough ask. I mean, obviously the profile of whoever's going to sit there is going to increase. It's Skip Bayless. You know, he's, he's still an attention getter, right? But um, And it, I think it worked for Shannon Sharp, but I think his star actually in the in the media realm uh, started to uh, grow brighter uh, than even Skip Bayless. And so uh, and there was a lot of friction you could see, and that's going to happen, whoever sits there. So I'm just wondering, like, who else in, in the real world uh, might, uh, might be a, a candidate of someone that maybe would even pique some interest like... Uh, from people like us to like, oh, maybe take this in. I actually think the best guy for it right now would be, and they kind of follow in that same sort of former athlete um, type of, of, of approach, Draymond Green. Like Draymond Green, just retire now, take, sit in that chair, sit across from Skip Bayless. They could argue about LeBron for years and years and years, um, and he would be great. He wouldn't put up with nothing. Uh, I think that there's a certain combati uh, combativeness with that show that would uh, fit right in with Draymond's personality. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's my call out. Uh, you're going with a fictional television character. I'm going with a guy who's not yet available because he's still playing Draymond Green. Regardless, I will not be watching. Uh, by the way, I got a text message from uh, our good buddy, Pakalani Bello, uh, who you remember you were talking about the Media, Media Basketball, Basketball League. He was one of those guys that got one of those texts, uh, <laughs> one of the many texts that were doled out in that league. Um, he texted me and reminded me of an injury. This is actually really good. It wasn't like a serious injury. It was just like a bump on my head uh, and didn't like prevent me from doing anything per se. But um, he reminded me that uh, I got a welt on my head uh, when I was golfing prior to my wedding. It was sort of like the, the you know, a little bit of the last kind of hurrah golf outing before the wedding. And uh, my buddy, Josh Supaia, who was the effective 
best man at the wedding, uh, sculled a chip shot from about 30 yards off the green, and it came line drive right at me and hit me in the head, and I had this very visible lump on my head uh, for several hours. It kind of calmed down later that night, uh, but that's a pretty bad one, too. I've had a lot of really embarrassing injuries, I just learned. Yeah, good call, Parker. I don't know how the one did not come straight to mind, because that one Well, came, I got hit in the head, so that that's came straight why. to your mind. <laughs> yeah. Like a golf ball size thing on your mind, quite literally. Yeah, no, I, I, it, it was a head injury. So, I mean, it's, it's a little foggy, a little foggy, that uh, that welt on the head. But, yeah, that's worse. All right, so don't throw glass, kids, and uh, be wary when you're standing by the green uh, and you're golfing with uh, your best man and some of your other, you know, good buddies before your wedding. Self-inflicted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Almost had the welt during the wedding, but luckily it went down. All right, uh, disaster was averted uh, at that particular time. All right, we're going to uh, take a break, but want to remind you, Domino's Pizza is a supporter of Let's Talk Sports. If you order online or via the app, you can save up to 20% off on your order. Again, Domino's Pizza Hawaii, we deliver aloha. Let's Talk Sports, best and worst, coming up. Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu, being joined by Brian McInnes of the Spectrum News app. Uh, been getting texts plenty um, of people uh, that are being suggested to take over for Shannon Sharp on the show Undisputed uh, with, um, with our favorite, Skip Bayless. And... Um, one of them was from our guy, uh, Dave Reardon, columnist for the Honolulu Star Advertiser, and he's like, how about Barkley? And Barkley would be great because you know that he passionately hates Skip Bayless, so that would be great. It would be must-see TV, but uh, Barkley would never do that, right? I mean, he's got too good of a gig. Plus, he's got, like, a new show coming out on, on CNN. But, yeah, I said Dream on Green, which wasn't very realistic. You actually said a television character, which also wasn't realistic. <laughs> so Barkley is about as realistic uh, as, as, a, as anybody else's call. So, yeah, Barkley would be perfect. I think during this season of Inside the NBA – Barkley has actually said he would kill Skip Bayless. <laughs> Which is why I would watch. And, like, he fully understands the ramifications of his actions there, but it would also kind of be worth it. Is I believe I'm paraphrasing here. But. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of getting towards the end, right? So maybe, like, Barkley would be like, just one last hurrah, and that is um, taking care of Skip Bayless. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> On behalf of the rest of Earth. Yeah. Kind of uh, doing everyone a favor, but... <laughs> All right, well, let's get into our uh, best and worst. Actually, before we do so, just want to remind everybody, stay cool this summer, get the new Bosch Inverter Central Air Conditioning System, and have it qualify for up to a $1,000 Hawaii energy rebate. You can ask your contractor for the Bosch Inverter. All right, best and worst time. BMAC, what's your best? All right, my best is uh, Novak Djokovic getting razzed by the uh, crowd at Roland Garros for the, the French Open uh, his match against, uh, uh, let me try this, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina in the third round. Oh, yeah. The crowd got on him. You know, he's very demonstrative during his matches, kind of yells to no one in particular a lot of times, and the crowd, you know, responded by getting on him during the course of the match, and he had something to say about it afterwards. But anytime anyone gets on Djokovic, I kind of enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. He's like the Joker that is not as beloved as the NBA Joker. Definitely not. And, uh, yeah, kind of a bummer. Nate all not in, in that uh, event, and obviously he's a, a specialist when it comes to that one. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of funny. All right, my best is he had three members of the Rainbow Wahine water polo team earning All-America honors. Bia Montalado Diaz was named uh, to the Association of Collegiate Water Polo Coaches Division One All-America second team, and you also had teammates Alba Bonamusa Boish and Emma Van Rossum, who earned honorable mention. So uh, shout out to them. That's my best. Let's flip it over. What's your worst? Uh, my worst is the specter of conference realignment once again with uh, 
the Big 12 talking mm. pretty openly about pursuing uh, more membership, at least in the realm of basketball. Gonzaga has been floated uh, not so secretly as a possible addition to the Big 12, at least in basketball. And uh, I don't know. It just uh, the, the prospect of some dominoes and uh, things negatively impacting the Big West and by extension, the University of Hawaii just kind of makes me a little concerned. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting. Big 12 not necessarily prioritizing football programs because UConn being another uh, speculative target for the Big 12 uh, in terms of recruitment to its uh, conference membership um, and not necessarily known as much as being like a football power, obviously, and Gonzaga uh, would be a non-football member of the Big 12. So yeah, Big 12 making inroads kind of interesting though, prioritizing basketball uh, above some of the other sports. All right. My worst is, I don't know if you saw this, but there is a sports better out there uh, on FanDuel Sportsbook made a three-leg futures parlay. Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl, UConn to win the national championship, and the Denver Nuggets to win the NBA Finals. Fantastic. He's sitting pretty. Here's the problem. He cashed out after the Super Bowl. It was a $25 bet. He cashed out for $122. If he had let it ride, and if the Nuggets were to finish off the NBA Finals, uh, it would be a payday of over $71,000. So he made $97. That's, that's kind of cool. Are we sure that Sua didn't conk him in the head with a golf ball <laughs> in the middle of his parlay and convince him to cash out? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's a bad one. That's a, that's a tough one. You're going to make the futures parlay, and you win the first leg, you, you got to let it ride, right? You got to let it ride. Well, hopefully he had like a good dinner somewhere for his $97. All right, that's it for us. Uh, we'll see you next time, everybody. Have a good weekend.